Well, good afternoon. It's so nice to have you guys with us. This is the time of year where we start to get some more visitors and newcomers. If this is one of the first couple times you guys have been here, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're with us, and if you're around next week, we hope to come back again too. Uh, we've been talking for the last two weeks during our sermon and teaching time about the book of Ruth. And so I've kind of been assuming as I've been preparing the message this week that by now most people are familiar with that story. It's a beautiful four-chapter, very short story in the Old Testament. So if you are just popping in and you guys are not familiar with the story of Ruth, please don't hesitate to pull out your Bible or pull out a smartphone and go to BibleGateway.com and just skim that beautiful Old Testament story. All right, let's go back for just a moment to the 1990s. I grew up just outside of Chicago, and there were almost 4,000 students at my high school. So I had classmates from any background that you can think of, which is kind of what this intro story is all about. I remember one winter morning, I was late as usual. My parents got up and left for work before I woke up, and so I had to somehow wake myself up. We were just short of the bus line where the bus would pick you up. So I had to wake myself up, eat breakfast, and walk and get to school before 7.50, which almost never happened. On this particular morning, I'm about halfway to school and I'm super late, and there's this big, junky beater of a car just stuck on the road, stuck on some ice. The wheels are spinning, and you know, there's only one driver, and obviously when you're stuck in ice, one person can't be working the gas pedal like and pushing the car at the same time, and looked like he'd been there a while and needed some help, so I just walked up behind the car and knocked on it so he knew I was there, and just kind of rocked the car off the ice, surging forward back onto the pavement. The door opened, and the driver got out, and I don't know how to say this in a politically correct way, but this guy was the most gangster person I've ever seen in my life. Now, there were a lot of fake gangsters in my high school, a lot of kids that looked exactly like me with baggy jeans and rat t-shirts, but like this was the real deal. Latino, hair slicked back, neck tattoos, flannel shirt that's like only buttoned on the top button. He looks at me, and I've got like a cardigan from the gap, right? And I'm, I'm like slightly afraid of dying. And he's like, you want to ride? I'm late for school, right? So I nervously open the passenger door, and I climb in. I kid you not, there's a statue of the Virgin Mary on the dashboard. There's a six-foot Mexican flag draped over the back seat. The music is blasting. And the vehicle was filled with smoke that was not from the car exhaust system, if you know what I mean. So I've got like a dozen friends or so standing in front of the school. And this car pulls up. And I get out. And the driver gives me the head nod. And my friends cannot figure out what had just happened. For a few weeks, I couldn't help but mess with them. Like, they were all, like, from the radio club and, like, the yearbook club. And they'd say something like, no, Scott, really? Why were you riding with that guy? And I'd whisper, you want to step up and find out I'm saying? Okay. They just could never 
figure it out. Here's my question. Here's what that story is supposed to make us think about. Can you think about a time when you came across somebody from a different neighborhood or a different background and everything inside of you felt wrong or in danger? But it turns out that the person who terrified you actually helped you or actually blessed you. This afternoon, as we conclude our study of the book of Ruth, I want to focus our attention on the importance that ethnicity or otherness plays into this story. All through the Bible, up to this point, God was kind of favoring the Israelites, and foreigners were portrayed to them as dangerous, and people that the Israelites were supposed to keep their distance from. Sometimes they're even portrayed as gross and repulsive. But as this story enters into the Bible and as this theme progresses, there's a huge shift in how God calls all of his people, especially us today, and how he calls us to think of and relate to those who are other, to those who are ethnically different. I hope you guys got an outline when you came in. In our, our sermon outline, we just have two sections. In section one, I want to talk about how the book of Ruth signals this change and the whole scope, scope of the Bible and how we're, is God's people supposed to treat others or foreigners differently than in the first couple books of the Bible. And then section two, I want to talk, I want to show you guys something really fascinating that you've probably never seen before. And it's all about how there's some subtle things within this story, the story of Ruth, that are meant to expose the ignorance of our ethnic stereotypes. We all have them, some more than others, but we all carry stereotypes towards those who are different than us, and this story beautifully exposes the ignorance of that habit. All right, the good news is one of the themes of the book of Ruth is on how to go from empty to full in a time of national crisis, and that's why we've been talking about it the last couple weeks. It's the Bible's best story that I can think of of how to go from empty to full in a time of national crisis, and I think that we can all relate to that here in 2020. And what we're going to talk about today is that as we do that, as we attempt to go from empty to full, we do that by living with an overflowing obedience to how God has called us to live. Ruth is so obedient in this story, and we do this with an overflowing kindness to others. Ruth is so good and so kind and so loyal. So let's get started. First section is going to be a little bit like a survey. Uh, maybe you guys are kind of familiar with some of this, and uh, maybe it'll sound new to you. God is never xenophobic. God never hates people that aren't from one particular group. Uh, but early on in Genesis 12, he takes this guy Abraham, and he makes a couple promises to him. And this is kind of a quick review of those promises that we're going to then follow all the way throughout the rest of the Old Testament to see if God is going to keep those promises. And he says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God never says, I'm only going to love the Israelites. If you really think about those promises, he says, I'm going to bless the whole world, and I'm going to do it through the Israelites. And so in the first couple books of the Bible, God is really trying to build the distinctness or the uniqueness of the Israelites. And so sometimes that comes across like him not 
caring about the neighbors, but again, he's just trying to build up the special distinctness of the Israelites. But even in that period, even in the first couple books of the Bible, we see the heart of God towards the other. One beautiful place I could think of is in Exodus 22:21. God says to the Israelites, you should not mistreat a stranger or oppress them, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And that's a beautiful way that God is saying to the Israelites, just like you were taken advantage of and you didn't like it and you needed to be saved, never forget that in your identity as you love the other. In Leviticus 19, 9-10, boy, Leviticus is where a lot of well-intentioned yearly Bible reading plans go to die, right? You get to Leviticus and you're just like, how does this teach me about God? In Leviticus 19, 9-10, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the corners of your field, you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. Now think about that. In this book that's just filled with law after law, rule after rule, God is telling the Israelites, when you take the fruit, when you take the grain out of your fields, leave the corners still with food so that the foreigners and the poor have something to eat. And that beautifully shows us the heart of God towards the foreigner and towards the other. But those are the only two examples I could really think of early on in the Bible from Genesis to Ruth where we really have a clear call to, to, to love and care for the foreigner. There's probably others... But the point is, it's not an emphasis thematically early on in the Bible. But as we've talked about the last week or two, within the book of Ruth, the fact that she's a Moabite, the fact that she's ethnically different, the fact that she is kind of a repulsive neighbor of the Israelites is a huge, important part of this story. The author reminds us of this in Ruth 2.10 when she comes across Boaz, this Israelite man, and it says she fell on her face and she fell to the ground and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should notice me? For I am a foreigner. And that just clues us into what her expected response was. And kindness from a Jewish person was not something that that Moabite woman expected. And of course, Ruth, the story ends with a reminder that this ethnic foreigner, this Moabite woman, was the great-great-grandma of the great Jewish king David, which is kind of mind-boggling because we don't really see that anywhere else in world literature. Like, you know, we have examples during the Middle Ages of like an English princess that was married off to a French prince because it would create like a, polit- a favorable political alliance. We never have any examples of a group of people that says our greatest leader also had this ethnic enemy in their family genealogy and family tree. It's really unique as far as any examples that I could think of. But all that to say, as you're going through the Old Testament chronologically, after the book of Ruth, there's like an explosion. And all of a sudden, it's hard to even get through a book of the Old Testament without some sort of subtle sub-theme of our importance as God's people to love the other, to love the foreigner. And your certain notes, there's a couple examples, Psalm 39, 12, Psalm 146, 9, Psalm 119, 19, Zechariah 7, 9 to 10, Malachi 3, 5, and Jonah. What's Jonah so mad about? Because God sent him to who? Sent him to save the Ninevites, another enemy of the Jewish people. In the book of Daniel, do you guys know that Daniel 4, 34 to 35, or Daniel 4, rather, 
is written by the Babylonian king. Like even the Hebrew scriptures has foreigners writing sections of it. In Acts 10, Peter, this great Jewish disciple and missionary, he has this strange dream and he's told to what? Focus your ministry on the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And then this beautiful verse in Revelation 5.9 talks about what it's going to look like in heaven. It says, they were all singing a new song and they're saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And saying, one of the reasons why everybody will worship Jesus in heaven is because of his love for the nations and that he saved people from every ethnic group and tribe and region. What a beautiful thing that the Bible is showing us. And so, the summary here of section 1 is that Ruth has a really important place within the overall Old Testament and within the overall Bible. It's where this important theme gets expanded that God wants us to love those who are very, very different than us. I've got a question for you guys. I just want you to contemplate personally. Nobody else will know your answer. Is your kindness to the poor and to foreigners expanding as you walk with Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, as the years go by, then you follow Jesus. Is your love and care for the poor and the other and the foreigner growing? That's a good litmus test. That's a good gauge. The answer should be yes. I remember when I was just a snotty little kid in third or fourth grade, we would line up outside our classroom in the library, and there were all these National Geographic magazines. You guys remember those? And every once in a while, when the, you know, we're waiting for the teacher, we'd take those out and we'd open them up and there would just be a, you know, a picture from somebody from a different country, eating different food, wearing different clothes, and we would all laugh, right? Because when you're immature, something that's different is funny and you mock it. But as I've grown older, one of the greatest adventures and joys that I've had is getting to travel to other countries and see the beauty of the people and the cultures that God has created. Do you guys know that America is never mentioned in Scripture? <laughs> you guys ever noticed that before? <laughs> we talk about God's people, right? We just interject ourselves right in there, right after the Israelites. And God loves this whole world and all the people in it. Um, one person who really illustrates this principle well of growing in your love for those who are different than you as they get older uh, is my wife, Thea. When I first met her and when she was in college, she was an athlete and you know, she just hung out with all the other, you know, athletic, sporty girls on the track team. And when we started, when we moved and I started to be a pastor, she, it was kind of hard for her to get to know other people in the church that might be a little bit different than her. But as the years went on, she just exploded in her love and interest in reaching out to those in our community who were other or didn't have a place or didn't feel accepted. And I'll never forget this one day I came home for lunch and I heard this like robot voice talking in my kitchen. There was a really strange conversation. There was some Chinese and Mandarin in there too. And what had happened is my wife had invited this new friend, Kelly, uh, home. She was the wife. Uh, her and her husband owned a Chinese restaurant in our town. And she invited her home for lunch, and this woman didn't speak any English, and my wife, of course, didn't speak any Mandarin. So they took out their smartphones with Google Translate, 
And my wife would type in, what would you like for lunch? And then she'd hit play, and in a robotic Mandarin voice, it would say that phrase. And then Kelly would take the phone and she'd type something in, and in an English robotic voice, it would say, I'm not hungry, but would like some tea, please. And they just like had this conversation from an hour, like for an hour going back and forth, because her Christ-like heart just wanted to reach out to and care for and include those that didn't otherwise have a place at the table. And I hope that that gives you something to think about as your kindness to the poor and to foreigners is expanding as you walk with Christ. The answer should be yes. All right, this is what I'm really excited about. Let's uh, talk about this for a few minutes and then uh, sing a little bit more and wrap up with uh, communion at the Lord's Supper. This story of Ruth, this beautiful four-chapter story, exposes the ignorance of ethnic stereotypes. Let's uh, talk about three ways that it does that. First of all, the story of Ruth inverts the traditional pattern throughout the Old Testament of an Israelite saving an entire country. You might not have thought about this before, but what is the story of Joseph all about? An Israelite who saves all of Egypt. What is the book of Daniel about? An Israelite who saves all of Babylon. Uh, what is Nehemiah about? He is also taken into exile and he saves an entire country with his Jewishness and intelligence and shrewdness. Esther also is about a Jewish person who saves an entire opposing nation. It's always the Israelite who saves the other country. But for the first time in the story of Ruth, it's a foreigner who saves Israel. Really beautiful. Another way that we see the ignorance of ethnic stereotypes exposed is Ruth, this Moabite woman, is included in the genealogy of David at the end in Ruth 4. And she's also included in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. Which again is showing us that God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 is now coming true. And God has been using really unexpected people to make those promises come true. Um, and here's my favorite part of the whole story. The story of Ruth reminds us that God wants to use you in his plan of redemption for others. And God wants to use you to save and to love others, even those who ignorantly judge or stereotype or oppress you. Okay? God wants to use you to love others, even those who ignorantly judge, stereotype, and oppress you. So without dignifying them, without speaking them out loud, without writing them on notes to your spouse next to you or whoever you're, you're with, I just want to ask you, what are some prejudices that you have towards others? The things they eat, the way they talk, the way they dress, the things they've done in the past. I hope one or two ugly prejudices just pop into your mind because we all have them, unfortunately. This is what's something that's just really beautiful about the story of Ruth. If you guys look at that chart in your sermon outline notes, there's a couple of things that we know that Jewish people thought about Moabites because of stories that happened earlier in Scripture. I don't have time to go through those in detail, but I can just summarize them. In Genesis 19... We learn about Lot and Moab, Moab, his son, and how the Moabite people start. 
And uh, Genesis 19 reminds us that the Moabites are descended from incest. Okay? That would have been a stereotype that Jewish people had against Moabites. It would have been some of the things that kids whispered to each other. It would have been things guys on the work site would have said with a poke and a laugh as Moabites walked by. But in Ruth 3.10, Boaz turns to Ruth and she's chosen to go along with what Naomi, her mother-in-law, said and try to get the family farm saved through acting out these uh, ancient uh, um, rules from Exodus and Leviticus. And Boaz says in Ruth 3.10, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. His kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And the original Hebrew that's used there would be used for somebody who was much, much younger than you. In other words, the plot moves forward. And the promise that God had given back in Genesis is continued, all because Ruth pursues a man old enough to be her father. Do you get the nudge? Do you get the wink? Do you get the way that the author is turning a stereotype upside down in a good way? How about this? If you guys have time later in the week, in Numbers 25, 1-2, it tells us another origin story of one of the biases that the Israelites had against the Moabites. And it says this. Uh, when Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them to sacrifice to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. And the story goes on. And the stereotype is this. Stay away from the Moabite women, Israelite men because they love to seduce you and lead you to your spiritual ruin. Like that's the stereotype. And then what happens in Ruth 3.9? Ruth proposes to Boaz. You understand how the stereotype is being used in a positive way. One final example, I know that you guys probably don't know this off the top of your head, but in Numbers 22 and in Deuteronomy 23.4, there's this story about how the Israelites are moving through the desert and they're desperate, they're out of food, and so they go to Moab and they ask these relatives of theirs, these distant relatives, to give them bread, and the Moabites refuse to share bread with the Israelites, and so that creates this whole feud that goes for several books after that. Hope you guys are kind of smiling underneath your masks because what's the whole story of Ruth about? It's about a Moabite's quest to provide an Israelite with bread, right? Ruth goes into the grain fields and she collects all this grain and she brings back bread for Naomi, the Jew, to eat. And so if you guys just kind of skim over that chart, I think you'll agree that this is all more than a coincidence. The author is demonstrating that God's promises are coming true through the very prejudices that Israel had against their neighbors, the Moabites. So the relevance for us today in 2020 is that I think that God wants to help bring you from empty to full with the things in your life that are lacking. And I think he wants to use unexpected people in the process. There might be people on the side of the road and you drive by, there might be people at work and you're like, no way, not that guy. And I just want to suggest to you
that God might want to bring you from empty to full like the characters experience in this story. And you might want to use unexpected people in the process, the people that you would least expect. There's this lady in the church that I grew up in. She was a poor Latino woman. And there was a time when I was really young where I noticed her really, really old, broken-down vehicle in the parking lot, the very modest clothes that she wore, the fact that she had two or three jobs. And very subtly in the back of my mind, I'm embarrassed to say that I thought to myself, that person doesn't have a lot to bless others with. That person probably gets more from the church than she gives to others. And I think God let me come to that false conclusion just so he could shatter it. And that great friend and encourager through the years, even though she didn't have very much money, paid for all my books when I went to seminary. She told me that she regularly prayed for me, which I know is probably the only reason I turned out even halfway decent with all the terrible decisions and wrongful impulses that I've had over the years. She actually knitted me several blankets when I got married, when we had kids, and the list of the ways that that individual blessed me are just too many to summarize now. What a beautiful reminder that God wants to bless us through the people that we least expect it from. God might want to use you to bless others and people that you would not be expected to bless. Let's wrap it up here with our conclusion and then have the worship team come forward. Let me just say two quick things. The story of Ruth reminds us that God has a desire to use those who are very different than us in his plan to bless you and his plan to fulfill his promises and his plan to redeem the lost and to save others. And finally this, the book of Ruth teaches us that God's promises come true when we trust and obey. Like the main thing that this story is about is not to have diverse friends. The main thing that the story of Ruth is all about is that God's promises come true when we trust and obey. That's how Ruth kind of turns around all the characters in the story. But we have to remember that the story turns around not because of her religious heritage, not because of, you know, uh, her, her resources, not because of her wealth, not because of her heritage. The book of Ruth, everything turns around because she trusts and she obeys and she overflows with goodness. My challenge to you is to trust that God is going to fulfill his promises in your life. Obey what he's called us to do in scripture and be overflowing with goodness and loyalty like this beautiful Moabite woman Ruth is. Let's just think about how many unexpected blessings come true in this story from people that you would least expect it from. And as we sing these next two songs, let's think about the unexpected ways that God has blessed us and how he wants to work through us in the lives of others. Amen.